This is Christian Questions. William Shakespeare once said, The devil can cite scripture for his own purpose. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can also contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we are truly glad you've chosen to spend some time with us here today on this beautiful Sunday morning. Jonathan, what's happening this morning? Where are we going? Well, Rick, our question this morning is, does the devil really exist? And do we really have to talk about it? (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. (laughs) And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. So it's talking about the devil, Satan, the adversary. These are but a few of the names that describe that powerful spiritual being who fell from heaven and who opposes God. Many people don't believe He exists. Still, others look at the Bible and point out how Satan is such an infrequent player in the Old Testament and a dominant player in the New Testament. They use this observation as proof of the evolution of the idea of Satan. So, is he real or just a convenient fabrication of Christianity uh, to keep people in line? If he is real, what kind of influence does he have? Should we be afraid? Wow, this is this is a a hot topic. Well, you know what? This is an important subject because, and and let's let's from the very beginning let's state that we believe Satan is real, alive, and well. Yes, we do, and very dangerous. Uh, and 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 in in believing that and looking at so many different perspectives of saying, well, you know, it's just a, a sort of a like like I said before, a fabrication. It, to me, that gives us all the more reason to be on our guard. And this morning we want to go through Scripture and, 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 and figure out just why the Scriptures tell us about Satan the way they do. Why was Satan not so prevalent in the Old Testament? Why did he suddenly just like seem, seemingly appear when Jesus appeared? You know, it, it's, it's an interesting kind of a thing. Good question. So, so we're going to get into all of that and discuss the influences of Satan, of the devil, of the adversary, and uh, see what we can do to safeguard ourselves against that. So, folks, that's where we're heading this morning. If you have a thought on the reality or the, the, the idea of Satan, we'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255. And if you don't agree with us, that's okay. Like to hear why? Sure. That's uh, and, uh, and we promise we don't bite. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, Jonathan, let's get started with this. Uh, we we're going to be be referring to a documentary that was actually done on SBS TV in Australia about Satan. So let's just get it a little bit into the introduction of that. Lucifer, Beelzebub, the Beast, Satan. Hail Satan! Hail Satan! When you say Satan to me, I think God. He has been called many names. He has taken many strange and different forms. 
The idea of God's evil enemy has been around for thousands of years. And it's still as powerful as ever. But where did Satan's story begin? Where did he come from? And how did he become the Prince of Darkness? And that uh, documentary goes through a lot of history, and it's very fascinating. We'll be dropping in on it uh, periodically through the program. And, and Jonathan, usually when we do a topic like this, you know, it, it's my penchant to always start at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Go way back to the beginning and say, okay, let's build a foundation based on what we see. You know, we'll generally start with Genesis and work our way through right, the scriptures. Right. Today, though, we're going to do it differently. Uh, today, we want to start right in the middle and talk about Satan's greatest power grab attempt in the history of humanity. And, and I really believe that this event we're going to talk about was his greatest greatest power grab attempt in human history. And we're going to be focusing at the beginning of the program on the three temptations of Jesus uh, as he, uh, right after he was baptized mm -hmm. and he went to, away to fast and pray. In the wilderness. For, yes. for, for 40 days. Mm -hmm. So each aspect of the three temptations of Jesus addresses Satan from a different perspective. And why is this important? Because each perspective helps us understand who Satan is by what he does. The amazing thing about Satan, well, you know, I say amazing, I'm going to put it in quotes because, you know, when you say amazing, like when you say to somebody, oh, you look amazing, that's supposed to be a really good compliment. Right, this is not. <laughs> no, the amazingly dark thing about Satan is that there are many names given to him in Scripture, and these many names identify his character. And I don't know of anybody else in Scripture who, who goes by so many names except for Jesus himself. And again, his many names identify his character. Good point. So we're going to take a look at these, the, 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 the comparison between the two. We'll start with Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. We're going to break it up in pieces. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. So it's interesting that it says in this the beginning of the scripture that he's led up by the Spirit, by God's Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by the power and influence of God into the wilderness. Mm -hmm. So, So Jesus is essentially driven there by God himself, his, his power and influence, so that he can focus on his mission. And he says that he's, he's also going to be tempted by the devil. And in, in verse 3 it says, and the tempter came to him. It doesn't say the devil, it doesn't say Satan, it doesn't say the adversary. It says the tempter came to him mm -hmm. and said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. What, what, is, what does the word tempter mean? And it's a pretty simple thing. It means endeavor, scrutinize, entice, discipline. So the enticer, okay, comes to him. Yes. Satan tempts. That's one of the things that he does. And in, in, in starting to understand the, the personality of Satan, that's one of the important things. We see how he interacted with Jesus. Um, he enticed Jesus to do something that would have been helpful to his body. Sure. Something, he was hungry. Yes, something needful. And Jesus had the power to do that. And we know that he had the power to turn uh, to 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 um, 
changed things. Remember, he turned water into wine. That's correct. Remember, he fed five thousand and 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 what four thousand with with just just a few pieces of food. And those were just men. Uh, also, women and children. Right. Ate, so there were much more. So you 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 know that Jesus was given this great great power to do this. And if he's that hungry, and Satan's tempting says, look, if. You're the son of God. See, there's the temptation. Oh. That's drawing the line and saying, I say, I dare you to step over that line. You know, if you, you are who you say you are. That is an enticer. Yes. <laughs> and now, no, no, remember, Jesus is in human form. And yeah. his human body is, is desperately hungry. Oh, yeah. So why not take care of yourself? I mean, look, you're the son of God. You can. What's wrong with that? Exactly. What's wrong? That's where temptation is. That's what Satan does. And what's Jesus' answer? But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus' answer is, and we've gone over this so many times before on a program, but it, it certainly bears repeating, because the answers are, that Jesus gives are powerful. First of all, they're scriptural. Okay, Jesus, and it's interesting to me, Jesus, the Son of God, doesn't rely on his own personality, his own personal strength to defy Satan. That's a good point. What does he rely on? God he and re- his word. He relies on the word of God through the history of the Jewish nation. That's right, the Old Testament. And, and all of Jesus' answers are in relation to Israel being delivered from Egypt. It's mm-hmm. interesting, being delivered from sin. Because that was a picture of Jesus coming to deliver the world from sin. So he goes back to that event and he says, look, yes, you can live by bread. But the most important thing is to be living on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he's proving it by quoting it. Yes. So so Satan tempts. That's the first lesson here. He tempts. He puts things out there to, to make you second guess where you're going and to entice you to go a different direction. So now let's go on uh, to verses uh, 5 through 6. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So now it says, then the devil took him. So that's one of the names that we recognize. What does the word devil actually mean? It means a traducer. So like I said, what does the word devil actually <laughs> mean? A traducer. I mean, who uses that word? Well, in the Webster's Dictionary, it says to expose to shame or blame by means of falsehood and misrepresentation. All right. To expose shame or blame. How? By falsehood and misrepresentation. So you are twisting things around and trying to, to expose somebody for weakness mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Satan traduces. That's a, that's a new word for today, class. <laughs> and we're going to be referring to it throughout the program. Satan is a traducer. He sought to expose a weakness of pride in Jesus by misquoting scripture. By saying, look, if you know... God's going to protect you. You know God's going to protect you. Just throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple. The scripture says you'll be protected. So he wanted to play the scripture game. Yes, he did. He did. Jesus used it. And, oh, okay, you're going to do that? Oh, watch me. And, and you know, the quote we opened the program with from William Shakespeare, the devil can cite scripture for his own purpose. Mm-hmm. There's proof. Whoa. Right there. Yeah, right true. there. So, so what's, Jesus, uh, what's Jesus' answer to that? Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not 
put the Lord your God to the test. So again, Jesus' answer to him is, no, I don't want to do that. I don't think that's a smart thing. His answer is quoting the Old Testament. It's quoting scripture saying to Satan, I am not, there's nothing to expose here. You can't shame me into, you know, again, if you're the son of God. He's drawing the line in the sand. Mm, yes, he is. If, if you are, you can't shame me. You can't misrepresent who I am. And I will not misrepresent the protection that God gives me. Because God will not protect foolishness. He protects devoted service to him. I like that. That's what he protects. So Satan traduces. He tries to expose or shame or blame by means of falsehood and misrepresentation. He tries to get things to look one way when they're another way. What we call that in today's world in this country is he puts a spin on it. Ah, <laughs> that's what he does. Satan spins reality so it looks different than it really is. And, you know, we we know all about spinning reality in our day. Well, guess who is the father of spinning reality? Satan. There you have it. And yes, we believe he is real. And we're going to get to some scriptures uh, on that part of it in, in a little bit. So now, so we've got Satan, the tempter, Satan, the devil, the traducer, the spinner of reality, if you will. And now let's go to verses uh, 8 and 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Again, you have the, the sense of if, you know, if you do, then if. Yeah. And then Jesus said to him. Go, Satan. All right. And, and you know, that's another translation, you know, uh, flee from me, Satan, or get thee behind me, Satan, or whatever it is. Right. But, but the idea is he uses the name Satan here. That's different than the devil that it was is. used in the, in the previous trans, uh, um, uh, temptation, and it's different than the tempter used in the mm-hmm. previous uh, temptation. So this word, Rick, means the accuser. Okay. A different word. Right. So Satan accuses Jesus of weakness and stands in opposition to the stated uh, uh, purpose of God. He's saying, look, you know, you can avoid all the pain and suffering. I know you came for the kingdoms of the world. I know that. Bow down and worship me and I'll hand them to you. It's a lot easier this way, isn't it? Well, of course it is. It, it, it's a lot easier. It's a lot simpler. You don't have to suffer. So, but what does Jesus, the, the final part of Jesus' answer is what? For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So again, for it is written. So the accusation of being weak is met again with scripture. So you have temptation, you have the traducing or the spinning, and then you have the accusation. Three aspects of the character of the person of Satan. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the devil really exist? Coming up, if Satan or the devil or Lucifer is a literal fallen angel, what do those three temptations tell us about how he works? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Does the Devil Really Exist? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website, 
ChristianQuestions.com. Does the devil really exist, and does the devil make you do it? (laughs) (laughs) We have to be utterly careful here. And Jonathan, the first point here that we want to pick up, as we have talked about the three temptations of Jesus showing us three different aspects of the character of the devil mm-hmm. uh, are is, is what? What's, the, uh, what's the, the, the main point here? Satan is smart. And y- he, you don't like to say those words. Yeah, but, but you know what? His intelligence is so far behind, be, be, behind, well, it's behind God's, but it's beyond human comprehension. His, his experience... He's been around a long time. His longevity is all beyond anything we can even fathom. What makes us think that we could uh, you know, face off against him, if you will? It, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. If, if you think of um, possession, yes. you, you're helpless. You, have, yeah. you can't do anything. Yeah. And we saw that those examples in the New Testament. So the idea that Satan is smart... How do you combat such a such a smart foe when somebody is so so much better than you? And I say better again in quotes in in terms of their abilities. You do what Jesus did. You you stay with Scripture. You stay with the basic principles that guided Jesus to overcome those temptations, and then that that helps us to uh, to to be able to overcome them uh, ourselves. So. Let's get a little bit further into, you know, we, we looked at the three different aspects of, of Satan's character, and there's many other aspects we'll get into as the program unfolds, but what does all this tell us about how he works? Well, first of all, Satan is aware of where we are, why we're there, and he seeks to turn our location against our mission. So he's got a little GPS planted on each of us, uh-huh. okay, and he understands where we are, and he wants to turn where we are, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually in our lives, against us. Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of heavens. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Satan knew that happened. Satan observed that happening with Jesus. And right after that, he's going to go up into the wilderness. So Satan knew where Jesus was. Satan knew that Jesus was looking to fill his mind with the will of God. Right there at the very beginning of his ministry. He knew that location. Our circumstances, now that was Jesus, our circumstances, Philippians 4, 11 to 12. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So again, Satan knows where we are in these different aspects of our lives. Now the apostle is telling us he's learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of having abundance of suffering need, he knows how to manage spiritually in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it's, the managing is staying close to Jesus and far away from Satan. Yes. All right, but yes. Satan knows. He's smarter than us. He knows where we are. He knows what we're doing. He knows what our life is about at this moment in time. The next point, Satan is aware of what we're doing and, and, and why we're doing it, and he seeks to corrupt our focus. See, if you know your enemy, and we are his enemies. Yes. Okay, we, make no mistake. If you are a follower of Christ, you're an enemy of Satan. And it, to, if you know your enemy, you know what they're thinking, you know where they're going, you know why they're thinking it, then that gives you much more to work with to try to undermine 
their their mission. So Jesus, again, Mark one twelve. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. So Satan was aware of the Spirit of God moving Jesus out into the wilderness. Our focus, Philippians three thirteen and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, by the time the Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians, you'd think that uh, from a very human standpoint, okay, look, he's been a faithful Christian for years and years and years and years. He's done all of these things. And you'd think that he could kind of sit back a little bit and relax. Uh, that is not his focus here. No. His focus is so determined right. um, to be Christ-like, to be faithful. So Satan would have observed the Apostle Paul. Oh, yeah. And if the Apostle Paul would have begun to slow down and say, well, you know what, I've done pretty good. I mean, I look at the, the, look at the missionary journeys I've taken, look at the churches I've started. I'm a pretty good guy in the service of Jesus. I've done what I've been called to do, and, and you know, it's, it's pretty good. I can t- t- kind of take a little bit of a rest here and, 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 and relax. And Satan would have seen that and would have jumped all over it. He would have. And, but the apostle says, look, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. He wasn't saying, I'm going to just kind of skate on into heaven now that I've done all my work. He's saying, I must press forward. Folks, if you have a thought, we'd like to hear what you think about the reality of Satan, if you think Satan is real or not, and why, and and perhaps some experience in dealing with, you know, how do we deal with, how do we get away from the influence of Satan? We'd love to hear from you at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also interact with us on our Facebook page, and all we always have an updated blog, and you'll have to check out Rick's new picture on the website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they that my last one looked too chubby or something. I don't know what they thought, but anyway, get a new picture. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> and, and folks, uh, really, if, if you do want to email us, you can do so at rick, R-A-C-K, at christianquestions.net. So, so, so far, Jonathan, Satan's aware of where we are why we're there. He seeks to turn our location against us, uh, against our mission. Satan is aware of what we're doing and why and seeks to corrupt our focus. Next point, Satan is aware of our weaknesses and he seeks to capitalize on them. And see, that's the incredibly important thing. That's how smart he is. Because that's what you do if you have an enemy. Yes. If you're trying to overcome your enemy, you find the weakest link in their, in their, in their individuality, in their person, and you exploit it. Right. He's looking to capitalize upon our weaknesses. Matthew 4, 2. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. That was physical weakness on the part of Jesus. It was. And, and look, you know, we say, well, Jesus is perfect. He, how could he be weak? He was weak. He was, he was a, a physical human being. He's weak. He hasn't eaten. There's weakness. There's physical hunger. We all know what it's like to be hungry. And he... Uh, had the ability to be exploited at that moment in time. And Satan was all over it. All right? Our weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 9. Through nine yes. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Like I said. 
<laughs> and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And again, we go back to the Apostle Paul, because in his last scripture we quoted, he's talking about pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. Here, this is after he got uh, Jesus actually told him, you know, no, no, your, your weakness is not going to be removed. You know, the, the eyesight. You're not going to be healed. Right. And Paul's response is that he would rather boast in his weaknesses because the power of Christ, therefore, can help him. So, we have weaknesses. It doesn't mean that God is going to take away our weaknesses so that we can be strong to fight against Satan. Sometimes, it's the weakness that makes us strong to rely on the Lord. Exactly. So, where does your strength come from? Good. Is it coming? Is it self or right. self is scary? <laughs> it is. It is. And if you're battling against Satan, and again, we believe Satan is real. Now, we haven't gone through any of the reasons why, why we believe Satan is real. We're just establishing what he does mm-hmm. uh, at, at this point. But if you're battling against somebody so much bigger and stronger than you are, you need to have your strength come from someplace bigger and stronger than you are. Exactly. So that the apostle gives us that example. Jesus gave us that example. Jesus, the biggest, strongest human ever, gave us that example. Go back to scripture. Go back to scripture. Go back to scripture. Go back to scripture. Doesn't matter how you feel. Go back to scripture. That's what that was the lesson. And the apostle is saying, now I can boast at the fact that Christ is dwelling in me and giving me strength to compensate. Not cure, but to compensate for my weakness. So, Satan is also aware of our strengths, and he seeks to redirect them. He's aware of our weaknesses. Our strengths? Well, you know what? That's what he does. He'll, he'll, if he can't get you with your weakness, he's going to have to get you with your strength. Matthew 4, verse 6. We're going back through these, these temptations and looking how Satan sees the strength of Jesus and says, Okay, all right, that's where you're strong. Let me see if I can make him take a left instead of a right. Matthew 4, 6. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Jesus' weakness, uh, or, or, or strength rather, I'm sorry, his strength is, look, you know, you, you, you are the Son of God, and God is protecting you. See, Satan knew of the protection that Jesus had from of God. Course, of he course. He knew it. So he said, let me take that strength and manipulate it so he uses it for a proud purpose. Jesus wouldn't bite. Do we? That's the question. Do we? Our strength, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it's not finally, Jonathan, be strong in Jonathan in the strength of your own might. No, I would crumble. (laughs) (laughs) Crumble like a chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) After being dipped in milk, you would crumble. (laughs) That's mush. (laughs) (laughs) Well, isn't that what you'd end up? Yeah. All right, then. (laughs) You are right again. (laughs) So, again, Satan's aware of our strengths. He's aware of our weaknesses. He's just aware, and he's waiting for us to, to make that mistake in judgment and put our, our strength or our weakness in the wrong hands. Once Satan tires of godly strength and that repels him, he leaves. Yay! Yeah, well then what? Okay, so Matthew 4.11. Then the devil left him. Okay, and, and it's interesting. The Luke scripture says, the next verse, it, it adds a phrase, until an opportune time. And behold, angels came and began to minister to him. 
So until an opportune time. Yes, huh? that's what the Luke account says. All right, can't get you now, but I'll be back. Exactly. Ah. All right. All right. You stood strong this time. <laughs> Just wait. Yeah. Because Satan doesn't sleep. Right. And maybe, maybe you're standing strong this time is gonna is gonna inflate that little personal ego of yours. Ooh. Maybe it's gonna Ooh. make you feel like you're bigger and better than you really are. I won, so I'm I'm right, good. Right, oh, right. So so good. that's part of how Satan works. So the angels it's interesting, the angels it says the angels came to minister him. Yes, yes. The angels actually fulfilled all that the devil was after. Really? Well, they, they, he, well let, let's go through these points. Three points. They probably fed and strengthened him. Because that's what the definition of minister is. So, oh. you know, he's trying to feed Jesus by saying, oh, you know, turn the stones to bread. So, well, the, so God blessed yes. the angels to help Jesus. Oh. Okay, cool. That oh, is cool. Okay, so they fed him. What else? They bore him up and fulfilled the text that Satan misquoted. So, in other words... Even in his weak stage, stage, they 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 pulled him up. They pulled him back together. Jesus and, and they strengthened him, just like the scripture said that that was the promise. They fulfilled the promise that How Satan was trying to get that? get misquoted. That is interesting. And then the third point: they came as messengers of the Most High, whom they and Jesus served. So again, it was part of you know all of the kingdoms. You know who do they ultimately belong to? God. They right. came as messengers of that Most High God. Oh, not neat. as messengers of Satan. So very interesting. They did the thing Satan was trying to do. This gives us a clear view of Satan in his New Testament beginnings. What about the Old Testament? See now, now we got to go. You know how do we got to go backwards now? Let's go back to the the uh, the documentary, "The Devil Does He Really Exist?" from SBS TV in Australia, for a little bit of introduction on that. More than three thousand years ago, in the deserts and pasturelands of the Middle East. Unknown hands wrote the earliest chapters of the Hebrew Bible. If the devil had a birthplace, surely it was here, somewhere in the book known to Christians as the Old Testament. In the oldest books of the Bible, a character called Satan does appear, but he's nothing like the Satan we imagine. When we read the Old Testament, we find that from time to time there is this strange dark figure who pops up called the Satan. This, the word the Satan is actually a, a title. The word means the accuser. And to begin with, it seems that the Satan is one of the angels or attendants in the heavenly court, one of God's servants who, in a sense, um, had to do some of the dirty work. And we're, we're going to get to that point about, was Satan in God's court assigned to do the dirty work of God? Because that's what they're assuming there in that. But the idea is now, okay, we've seen the New Testament. What about the Old Testament and Satan's appearances there? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the devil really exist? Coming up, so was it really Satan in the Garden of Eden doing the deceiving? Was it just a snake? Can we really know? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the devil really exist? To be a part of our program, call us toll free at 866-985-4255. That's 866-985 for all. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, 
ChristianQuestions.com, and it would be a great time to sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. Oh, you're so right about that. How much does that cost? It's a free service, Rick. And how do you do it? Go to the website, ChristianQuestions.com. And uh, avail yourself of that free service. It takes our uh, program each week and breaks it down into a, into a great, great presentation on, on in a PDF format. The graphics and illustrations are wonderful. We have a great team that works on that, uh, that uh, every single week. And uh, it really, really helps the Bible study aspect of this whole thing uh, come through. Uh, Seeker Rewind, the full edition, exclusively available at ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to get the Christian Questions app for your smartphone. Oh, yeah. It's a free service. Just go to your app store and type in Christian questions. All right. All right, Jonathan, let's get back to this. And um, be- before we go to, to the so- another soundbite from SBS TV Australia, The Devil, Does He Really Exist? Uh, because we're going to be focusing on the Garden of Eden now in this segment. Mm-hmm. Just, one, just one quick side comment, because I made a comment before, and I really should sort of finish it. Remember, you know, jokingly said, you know, the devil made me do it kind of thing. Sure. The devil doesn't make anybody do anything. Okay. The devil can influence us, so we choose to do things. Let's just make sure we understand that. So it, we're accountable. Yes, we are. Just, okay. Just, just wanted to say that. Let's let's go to the soundbite now. When Satan isn't being a dragon, he's a snake. The serpent, said to have tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, has long been believed to represent the devil, although the scriptures don't actually say so. In fact, Christian leaders disagree, sometimes violently, about what the devil is like. But one thing they do agree on, he is busy working with and through their enemies. So it's interesting, that, you know, the, the idea that Satan, we, we look at Satan as, Satan as the serpent in the garden, and they're saying, well, the scriptures don't actually say so. Hold that thought for a little bit. All okay? right. What does Satan want? I mean, let's, let's establish, what does he want? He wants control. He wants humanity to follow him. How does he go about gaining control and maintaining this c- control? Subtly. He's very subtle. First John two sixteen and 17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So these three things are ways, three ways that Satan gets to us. The lust of the, the desire of our flesh, the desire of our eyes, and the pride of our own lives. Those are three methods he uses to get to us. Those are the three methods he used in the Garden of Eden. So let's go there. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. See, now we already saw evidence of that craftiness in the previous exchanges with Jesus. Yes, we did. And it was very crafty, and oh, it was yeah. very well thought out, and it was very, uh, um, it, it was it was brilliant. It was a brilliant attack. It was subverted mm-hmm. because the 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 Jesus focusing on Scripture. Took, took the brilliance out of that attack and just deflated it. Right. But there's this craftiness that's so brilliant. So here he is. He is in the garden. And, and we, yes, was Satan in the garden as a sermon? Yes, he was. Okay? Yep. Let's go. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it, lest ye die. So... He challenges and he gets the right answer. And it's interesting. The right answer was God said. Right? Yes. So it was. I know you didn't have the written word of God at that point, but you had God's spoken word. That's right. Eve repeats it back. God said. So what does Satan do with that? The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. 
For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what Satan does, he said, okay, that's what God said, but here's what God knows. And it's beyond what God said. And so he fabricates a lie built upon the truth so that they can, Eve can see that, oh, there's more to this. I wasn't fully informed. Sounds like a temptation. It does sound like a temptation. There was not full disclosure on the part of God. Is that what you're telling me here? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so what happens? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. And that it was a delight to the eyes. Obviously the lust of the eyes. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. The pride of life. She took from it its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So there you have the... Adding to the word of God, and that's interesting, Satan's adding to the word of God. Right. He's adding things that don't belong, and that is what trips up Eve. He deceives her. What evidence do we have that this was, in fact, Satan? Okay, because we say it, and in the soundbite they said, well, you know, Satan really wasn't in the, in, in, in the garden. And that, it says serpent, Rick. It's, it does. So how, how, do, how do we figure that out? Let's go to some scriptures. We believe the following scriptures uh, clearly are symbolic of Satan. Now, now, hear what I just said. These scriptures are symbolic of Satan, and it tells the reasons he would have been in the garden and what went wrong as a result. So this is symbolic scriptural language, and we're gonna, we want to say that right up front. Okay? All right. Ezekiel 28, 11 to 17. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Okay, so in Ezekiel's time, it says, take up this lamentation over who? This is talking about the king of Tyre. All right, the king of Tyre. So there's an actual king at that point in time who uh, uh, is being addressed in Ezekiel. So what's that have to do with Satan? Because the king of Tyre is representative of Satan. Now, why do we say that? Okay. Okay. We'll have to continue. That's, well, and yeah, you, you've got to continue. You've got to go through the context here. So let's go to the next verses. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. So it's interesting. It says, you were in Eden. Now, when we look at that, we know for a fact the king of Tyre was not in Eden. That's right, because there was an angel guarding that, so no one could go back to Eden. Right, and, and so, so you've got this, this, this strange statement in, in the book of Ezekiel. It says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And you were an anointed cherub? Right. Yeah, well, that's an angel. Right. A cherub is an angel. Yes. You, you, the anointed cherub who covers. In other words, there to protect Eden. So it's describing an angel, an angelic presence in Eden that was there to protect. And, and let's, let's go further. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. So it's giving a description. So it says it's, it's talking about the king of Tyre. And then it goes into this other description that Couldn't you could... possibly be literal of the king. Right. It can't be. It could show how the king might have fallen from good standing into bad standing. Right. In but an allegorical it. sense. But that's about it. Right. Yeah. But now we're looking at this and it really is focusing on something much bigger. 
than that. And, you know, folks, you, you might say, well, you know, how can you say that? And in the second hour, we're going to get into much more of the authority given to us by Scripture to understand things in this way. Let, let, let's continue this verse because we've got to get to the phones, too. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. So you were blameless until unrighteousness was found in you and then you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. So now you're cast off from the mountain of God, and now you are profane. You are no longer in that, in that position of being a, a worker of God's will. You have now become a worker opposed to God's will. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. And doesn't that sound like a, a, the, the classic understanding of, of an angel that has fallen from grace? I mean, the beauty and splendor of the, the angelic host, we can't even imagine it. You're right, you're right. And yet, this, this particular being uh, fell, and they were in a position of great responsibility. Okay? So, the, the idea here is that we see that as a, as a picture of Satan. Now, why is it that we think Satan was that serpent in the wilderness? Well, besides what Ezekiel said, let's go to a scripture in Revelation 12, 9, and then we'll go to the phones. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, this is interesting, because in Revelation, Satan is described by what he does. The great dragon mm-hmm. okay, is thrown down, the serpent of old... Who is called the devil. The serpent in the Garden of Eden. Because that would be the the serpent of old. Yes. So when when they said in the soundbite that, well, you know, there's no scripture that says Satan was the serpent. Oops. That scripture really does give us a strong illusion. Then you put that next to the Ezekiel scripture. Yeah. And you see a description of why he was there. He was there as a servant of God, but turned against God. So, Jonathan, let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. Thank you for letting me have a turn. Okay. <laughs> yeah, does Satan exist? He surely does. By uh, our Lord's uh, own uh, testimony, you know, the, the, the scriptures clearly state that uh, the devil is real and uh, he's powerful. You know, I, I just had a thought about the Apostle Peter. Uh, he was in the lion's den like uh, Daniel. How? Uh, in 1 Peter 5, 8, I think it is, it says, For your adversary the devil goes about seeking whom he may devour. As a roaring lion. As a roaring lion, you're right. So Peter was in the lion's den. Cross-reference to Luke twenty-two thirty-one, where the Lord Jesus inter- in- interceded in behalf to save Peter, remember? Yes where he says uh, Satan desired to sift you as wheat, whatever, you know, th- there was a powerful attempt by the Lord, uh, by uh, Satan, to, to uh, harm Peter, whatever way it was. But so Peter survived, and uh, he can say, yes, he's like a roaring lion. So uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, one, one thought comes to mind also about the power of the devil. Uh, you mentioned uh, in, uh, in different ways how, how knowledgeable he is. Yes. But here's, I have a question. You know, I'm, I'm gonna, I don't expect you to answer it, but uh, to think about it. Uh, how much do you think Jehovah God uh, keeps from the devil in terms of, uh, you know, him knowing uh, every aspect of uh, God's plan? 
I, I might, I'm inclined to think that he might limit his knowledge in some ways. That's just a thought. Thank you. God bless. Thanks, Julius. Appreciate your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And, and Jonathan, we'll, we'll take that question up in the second hour because there's some, some interesting things about that and some speculation, but there's some interesting things. Julius, thanks so much for the, uh, the scriptures and, and the idea that, you know what, we are in the lion's den because Peter talks about the body of Christianity. That's right. The devil seeking, you know, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, one other quick thing, Jonathan, before we close this hour. And folks, if we're not on in your area in the second hour, go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, and stay with us. In the Revelation scripture, it talks about Satan being cast down after all of the temptations that he did. That's right. So, a lot of times people envision Satan being down in, quote, hell, unquote. But the scripture does not indicate Satan is down somewhere. No. They indicate he's up. Yes. All right. This is a very basic language. And you got to ask yourself, okay, what does that mean? Folks, what it means is Satan is alive and well and governing the world in which we live. He controls the world from a high spiritual position, not a low position. Satan is not trying to deal with the dead. We don't believe in hellfire anyway. He is dealing with those who are alive and trying to manipulate, especially those of us who are following after Christ. In the second hour, we're going to get more into why we believe Satan is real according to Scripture, some other Old Testament Scriptures that really nail it down and help us understand what it is we're fighting against. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, the question today, does the devil really exist Please stay with us for the second hour. There's much more to come. But till then, Satan, be aware and be afraid. We'll be back soon. Think about it. is Christian Questions. Harry Segal once said, Be good, do good. The devil wields no power over a good man. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. Jonathan, what is it that we're talking about this morning? Well, Rick, our question this morning is, does the devil really exist? And our theme text is found in Matthew 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And in the first hour, we looked at uh, what Satan does, and it's interesting that what he does is often described by the name he's given at, at, at the event. Yes, you're right. You know, at the three temptations of Jesus, he was lo- looked at as the tempter, the devil, and Satan for three different aspects of his character. Just like Jesus is, is looked at the different aspects of his character for the things that he does. Yes. So, you know, you have these two great, great, great influences 
in in the in the scriptures. And when I say great, doesn't always mean good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> great meaning powerful. Mm-hmm. And you have the influence of Satan being described in many ways, and you have the influence of Jesus being described in many ways. Yes. And both are given names to reflect the kind of influence that they are putting out. And it it, it is a battle. It, it is, is a major battle. And that's one of the reasons we think that Satan absolutely is a very real being. Now, Rick, on your quote, when you opened uh, the second um, hour, you said, be good, do good, the devil wields no power over a good man. Yes. Well, that's not the true case, because being good and righteous, well, that is good, but without God's protection, you are helpless. Right. And, and really what this is, is this is a good starting point. Yes. To be good and to do good, but you need to be good and do good and be godly and spiritually oriented in order for, to get that true, true protection. You're yes, right about that. Yes. It, it is. And I was thinking about that when I was reading. I thought, yeah, it's a good starting point, but it's not the end result. You got it. Okay, so good good point on that. So we talked about Satan being described in Ezekiel uh, as the king of Tyre mm-hmm. and how that really did fit into the scriptural perspective of Satan in the Garden of Eden, for instance. Yeah, there's no way that the king of Tyre could be, have been a cherub. Right. <laughs> and, and, we, and we talked about Satan... Uh, and, and looking to usurp the authority that had uh, that, that belongs to God, but also to exercise. Now, it's interesting, because Satan, according to the scripture in Ezekiel, was put in the garden to protect... Adam and Eve. Right. And so everything within the garden. He was given authority yes. over humanity. And it's interesting that God didn't necessarily take away a lot of that authority. He cast him out of heaven... In, uh, in other words, he cast him out of his, uh, of, of his counsel, if you will. Mm-hmm. But Satan still has authority over humanity. Yeah, he was disbarred. Yes, disbarred. That's right. <laughs> but he's still practicing law illegally. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get to another aspect of the story of Satan. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the story of Satan in relation to the, uh, the, the individual Job. Um, before we do that, though, let's go back to the uh, the documentary from SBS TV Australia on the devil. Does he really exist as an introduction? One of Satan's earliest appearances is as an angel in the book of Job. In one of the best-known stories in the Bible, Satan argues that Job, one of God's most loyal servants, is only pious because he has a good life. God agrees that Satan can test Job by inflicting on him all kinds of diseases and calamities. In the end, in spite of dreadful sufferings, Job continues to worship God, and Satan loses the argument. The Satan who makes Job's life a misery isn't a demon or even a bad angel. And he doesn't live in hell. All right, you know, it's interesting because some of the things that, he, that the, the commentator said there, I think, have, have validity and some of them don't. Right. Uh, and he said, well, he said, first of all, he said Satan doesn't live in hell. He's right about that. Yep. Okay, we, and, and the scripture in Revelation established that. All right, and but the fact that there is no hell of torment, I think, verifies that. But anyway, that's a different subject for a different day. The other thing he says, Satan wasn't a bad angel at this point. He wasn't some demon. And let's examine that, because I think we need to understand 
what was happening in this whole event, this whole event of Job. And someday, Jonathan, soon, we're probably going to do a program on Job. Julia was mentioning that earlier uh, this morning because it's such a great, great story it of, really ins- is. of inspiration. Job chapter uh, 1, verses 6 through 12, we'll break it in pieces. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From whence do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So it's interesting because this doesn't give you an implication that Satan was good. No. It just says that he, it implies that he could come before God. Right. And, and, and so what that helps us understand is Satan in his fallen state still can communicate with God Almighty. Correct. And so it's like Satan, uh, God is having this meeting with these, the, the angels. And of course, I don't know how this is all working, okay? I mean, this is just speculation on our part. And, and, and Satan comes in and, and God acknowledges him and says, so where have you been? And, and I think that there's, you know... It, you know Roaming from, on the earth was yeah, his answer. Yeah. So God, when God says to Satan, where have you been? Do you think he already knew? Of course he did. So let's, let's just put it for what it is, okay? God is always teaching in everything that he does. Let's continue. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. All right, so this does imply mischief, for Satan is challenging a promise that God has always given to those who would honor him. That is his blessing. That's right. Now, in the Old Testament, the blessing was always physical. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the New Testament, it became spiritual. Correct. So, but the fact is that from day one, from the time Adam and Eve were in the garden, God basically said, obey me and be blessed. Exactly. Disobey and there will be consequences. So Satan is saying, well, you know, Job has got it made. You protect everything he does. Of course he's going to honor and love you. I mean, who wouldn't? You give him everything for crying out loud. That's a paraphrase. (laughs) (laughs) I never read that in the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Nor will you. Trust me. So Satan is basically challenging God. All right? This is not the work of a good angel. No, it's not. Okay, let's understand that. So here, here's what God says. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So Satan continues, Okay, you know what? If you, if you, if you make his life difficult, he's going to curse you to your face. And God says, okay, give it a try. Don't touch him, but give it a try. So the shackles are off regarding Job and Satan. Satan now can get to him. All right? Satan's evil. He's looking to prove that Job will not be faithful to God. And he's doing that through evil. Yes, of course, because he wants to show that God is showing favoritism. And he's, trying, he's desperately trying to make God out to be like Satan. How about that? That's what he's trying to do wow. here. So Satan uh, goes and in an evil way looks to, to, to disprove the loyalty of Job. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Job will not go against his God. And what a great example. Yes, of, absolutely. Of, and, 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 you know, he was protected because he was so loyal. He wasn't so loyal because he was protected. I like that. You're right. 
And that's the mode of operation that God uses with us all the time. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866 for all We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. Go to our website, ChristianQuestions.com, and tweet us at CQNetRadio. Let's go a little bit further. We, we've talked briefly about Job and the fact that Satan was not a nice guy in that, in that event. He was a bad angel. Yes, he was. Let's look at the book of Isaiah. Satan is further revealed in Isaiah. Or is he? Let's look at Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Again, that thrusting down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit, is a future... Judgment. Judgment, okay. Yes. But we have always used this scripture to describe Satan. Always. Yes. And you, there's several things in here that talks about, I'm going to be like the Most High, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other thing. Uh, but does the context bear it out that this is about Satan? And again, let's go back a few verses. Isaiah 14, same chapter, verses 3 and 4. This is interesting. And it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased and how fury has ceased. So it's talking about a taunt against who? The king of Babylon. So it's, it's not about Satan. It says the king of Babylon. So why is it that we take a look at that scripture and take the convenience of the description of what we want it to be and say, okay, this is all about Satan, but the scripture itself tells us. How's that literal king going to raise himself above God <laughs> in heaven? But, but again, it, it could be, and, and I think it was, in, in, from, from a scriptural standpoint, it should, these words should have been taken both in a physical, literal sense at the time of Isaiah. Towards the king. Right. And in a prophetic sense about Satan. Two applications. That's how wise God is. And, and, and that's the point. There, and, and you say, well, does that, you do that because you, know, you think you can, because it's convenient for you? Or do we do that because the scriptures tell us we ought to do that? And that, to me, Jonathan, is the big key here. Um, while this verse in Isaiah 14 does mention the king of Babylon, we believe its prophetic, deeper, and stronger meaning is about Satan. Now, why can we make that leap? Let's take a look at another instruction given to Isaiah. And this instruction that is given to Isaiah, he is going to respond to personally, as Isaiah, okay? Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 10. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. So God speaks to Isaiah, and he says, Who will I send? And Isaiah says, and I'm going to paraphrase, Oh, 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 pick me, pick me. <laughs> That's what he says. Here am I. Send me. Send me. So Isaiah has a mission. He physically answers God and he physically goes out and accomplishes his mission. So you look at those verses and you say, it's about Isaiah, right? 
That's what it sounds like. It, well, it is. It's absolutely about Isaiah. Let's now go to Matthew 13, verses 13 and 14. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see, and while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. So Jesus takes the exact words of Isaiah, and he says that this prophecy is being fulfilled right here, right now. This this is a picture of Jesus volunteering right. to go for the the Lord. So Jesus is telling us that scriptural prophecy given in Old Testament had an application, a real physical application in the Old Testament, but it also has a much bigger, more powerful meaning later on. So if Jesus is telling us that's the way Old Testament prophets work, then we should take him at his word. And we can apply these things to Satan, and they make perfect sense. Because the Old Testament actions and activities were tools of prophecy for the future. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the devil really exist? Coming up, what role did Satan play in the New Testament? How can he disrupt those following Christ? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Does the Devil Really Exist? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. And our website christianquestions.com so jonathan let's get down to the practicality of this uh this this discussion uh for the purposes of us here today right now as christians okay what are you supposed to do what role uh, did satan play in the new testament satan in the new testament is being described in many ways as he who stands and he who would have us stand against god now understand that's his objective. He wants us to stand against God. Now how could he get somebody who's following God to stand against God? It's easier than you think. It's easier than you think. And that's why when I say be afraid, it's um, I'm I, I I hesitate to use that 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 description, you know, be afraid of Satan uh because we need to be afraid from one standpoint, but we also need to be able to stand strong from another standpoint. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of those two, and maybe in this segment we can sort of define how that combination works. Let's look at the different ways Satan works in the New Testament. Let's start with Mark 8.33. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. You see how easy it is for us to end up serving Satan? Even Peter. Right. Even Peter fell into that category at that moment in time, and Jesus let him know. So we have to be aware and careful, because when we go against the will of God, we're actually going for the the will of Satan. And that's not a comfortable thought. No, it's not. Because none of us is exactly in line with the will of God all the time. You're right. We would like to be. Sure. And we focus on it. But we're weak and we're imperfect, and so we end up falling as well. First uh, Thessalonians 2.18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, 
Even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. All right, so Satan was active in attempting to stop the gospel from being spread. That's what the apostle says here. You know, I would have come, but Satan hindered me. So wow. this is this is a this this gets personal here. It does. Okay. So Satan, the accuser. Remember that was the the, the definition for the word Satan is 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 prevalent in our in, in our daily lives in the in the New Testament and in our lives now. Ephesians six ten to thirteen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And that word devil means the traducer. Remember that word oh, from yes. the first hour? And the traducer means to expose to shame or blame by means of falsehood and misrepresentation. So who, he who is looking to expose by misrepresentation is the one you're fighting against here in this particular context. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm all right so here's an now let, let's take a little bit of a, a quick detour here for a moment because you're, you're you're looking at satan in the new testament and you're looking at what what he does and scripturally you know it says you've got to be armed because the traducer is out to get you now you know the scriptures say that our lives are hid with christ mm-hmm. well if you're hid with christ how can satan find you <laughs> Good question. See, and and so you got to say, well, what does that mean? Does it mean you're hidden from Satan? And I th- think the answer is no. It doesn't mean you're hidden from Satan, but you're hidden in the strength of Christ. In other words, your weaknesses, if you sit under the authority of Jesus, your weaknesses are covered, and you'll be able to overcome. And especially in the context of this scripture with putting on the armor, is it... Put on the armor of Jonathan so you can stand against the wiles of the devil. No way. <laughs> it's armor of God. Right. So that's what it means to be hid. It means that our weaknesses are, are borne up in the hands of God because we are armed with his armor. That's what it means. And, that, and so Satan can still, he knows our weaknesses and he can attack our weaknesses, but if they are protected beneath that shield of faith and under that helmet of salvation, then we're okay because we're standing in the right place. And again, the scripture brought out the wickednesses from heavenly places. Yes. From all around us, not from under the earth. Right, right, right. That absolutely. You know, and it's against powers. This is this is a battle, folks, that is just way, way beyond our capacity. If we knew, and someday we will know of all of the depth of the battle that goes on that's outside of the realm of our thinking. Whoa. We would be absolutely amazed. I bet. Okay. The adversary. Let's, uh, so Satan in the New Testament was Satan, the devil, and now the adversary. This is a, a definition we actually haven't looked at yet. First Timothy five fourteen and 15. I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. So again, you have the adversary and Satan in the same verse, but give no occasion to the adversary. What does that word literally mean? To lie opposite. Be adverse. Okay, so don't give any occasion to the one who lies exactly opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. Don't give any occasion to that. That means that even if our lives are hid in Christ, we can still give him uh, occasion. 
we can choose to open the door. And we shouldn't, but we can. We can. We can make mistakes. Right, right. And, and, and that can be a very, very difficult, dastardly kind of a mistake. First Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be of a sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, now, this talks about your adversary, the devil. Which means an opponent. Okay, so and this is a scripture Julius brought out. Yes, yes. So, and, and, and so, so your adversary, your opponent, the devil. So, look, that's who the fight is against. It's the enemy. Right. The opponent. So... Even though we're fighting ourselves, you know, the, the, all of the things within us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Right. Well, <laughs> the, the lust of the eyes, right. the lust of the Those are fighting flesh, ourselves. the pride of life. But, you know, yeah. our fight is bigger than just against ourselves. It's the world, the flesh, which is ourselves, and the devil, and Satan, and the adversary, and the one who stands against us. And again, let's, let's take a slight detour here because Julius asked the question, uh, sort of a thought question. Well, how much does Satan know? Does God keep a lot from him, or does God keep a little from him? And I don't know the answer per se, but I'll give you speculation. You okay. know, if from my perspective, God does keep some things from him, but I think that Satan is able to figure out a lot of what's going on. The difference is this. We see the will of God as having been prophesied, and therefore it will come true. Mm-hmm. Satan sees the will of God as what God would like to accomplish, but Satan has his own will, and he wants to accomplish his will instead. So he sees what the prophecies are supposed to be leading to, mm-hmm. and he says, I can change this. I've already changed several things in the past. I can still continue to change. I already upset the apple cart in the garden. I went after Jesus. It didn't work, but... You know, and, and so he go, can go on and on, and you have examples in the New Testament of those who fell to the will of Satan. So I think that so, some things are hid, but Satan just sees them through the filter of his own will. But uh, I love the scripture, all things work together for good. God's got this. Right, <laughs> and that's why we can take heart even if we have fallen. Now, look, if you've fallen, doesn't mean you stay down. No, no. What it means is you get up, you brush yourself off, and you find your hiding place in Christ again, and you make sure you're armed this time and move forward and learn from wh- how you fell. Yes. But Satan knows and understands on all these things. He just, and it's just like a kid who sees things through the filter of, I want this. And when the kid wants this, the parent can tell him till you're blue in the face. You can't have that until or because, but the kid just wants it. That's the way Satan works. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages and into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so we're... we're looking at how Satan was active in the New Testament. He was active in a number of different ways, as the accuser, the traducer, the opposition, if you will. Um, Now, let's, again, take another detour, Jonathan. We're going to go back to the sound bites from SBS TV Australia, The Devil, Does He Really Exist? The history of Christianity and after the New Testament tells a very different story of the history of Christianity in the New Testament. Let's listen. Four centuries after Christ, a Roman emperor, Constantine the Great, converts to Christianity. Within a generation, the once persecuted religion 
is the official creed of the mightiest empire on earth. Christian bishops now have real power, backed up by the state, and they use Satan to help them keep it. Again and again, church leaders claim that those who disagree with them, especially other Christian groups, are working for the devil. As Constantine made it the state religion and the state church and an established religion, what Constantine and his immediate successors found hardest to put up with was heresy. So, Jonathan, that adds a, a real wrinkle, not a wrinkle, that adds a real atomic bomb to the whole cause of Christianity. Yeah, the Dark Ages was such a sad time. So, what happened is you had Christianity take a turn for the worst. Yeah. And it, when I say the worst, I mean the worst. That's right. It, it kind of reminds me of the temptations in the wilderness for Jesus that... Uh, they were the tempter, traducer, and accuser, but all in the wrong ways. And Christianity, the, the, the church in the Dark Ages, took on the, that role. I think that's what you're saying. Yeah. It took on the same, did the same things that Satan was doing. Exactly. To, to Jesus, did the same things to those who were trying to follow after Christ. If you don't follow our way, uh, you'll, you'll burn, or you, you'll be imprisoned, or you'll be tortured, or whatever it is. Right. So, so you, have a, you have an amazing victory of Satan through those dark ages you have an amazing grabbing hold of and saying see i can do this and that's why i say he sees a lot but he sees it through his own filter saying i can take christianity it's and 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 control it to to control the world that so he took the very followers those who were supposed to be the followers of christ and he completely polluted they're, they're, they're thinking, and he allowed them and their greed and all of that stuff to all work together for a very bad, bad time. It's, it was interesting. The soundbite said they were given real power at this time. You think about, wait, 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 time out. Real power. Real power is the, is, is the power and influence of God in your life. The Holy Spirit. That's the only real power Christianity needs. Christianity doesn't need government. No. It doesn't need authority. No. It simply needs the power of God. Right. That's all Christianity was ever meant to have and ever meant to use. Period. And here's what Jesus says about the real power. John seventeen fourteen. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So, I, the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what Christianity is supposed to be about. This idea of running governments and running the world is nonsense. That's right. Okay? Just, that's not where Christianity belonged. And you see what happens when Christianity did that. We have bad history to show. It's an individual walk. It's not a national yes. walk. Satan gathers followers. And sometimes those followers don't even know they're his followers. And a lot of the people who were sucked up into that, that period of time fell into that category. First John 3, 7 through 8. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. All right, so again, it's talking about if you're practicing sin, you're of the devil. That sounds like an awfully great categorization. Uh, and, and again, it's something, because this world is the world that belongs to the devil, mm-hmm. it's easy to fall into that category. It is. When you come into the category of true Christianity, you are, you are coming into a very tiny, tiny category in the world in which we live. 
It is not big. It is not powerful. It is not popular. Satan and his messengers seek to distort truth among the faithful. And I know there's another scripture you wanted to get to. We'll get to that maybe in the next segment. But just 2 Corinthians 11, 12 to 15. And what I do, I will also continue to do in order to deny an opportunity to those who want an opportunity to be recognized as our equals in what they boast about. For such boasters are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is not strange if his ministers also disguise themselves as ministers of righteousness. Their end will match their deeds. And it's interesting to me how we take that scripture and we look at the history of Christianity and we can see darkness posing as light within the name under the name of Christianity. There are counterfeits out there too. And co- be corrupting yes. the name of Christ. And that is the furthest thing from our minds that we would want to do. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, does the devil really exist? Coming up, why has Satan influence ex-escalated now more than ever? What will the end result look like for him? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Does the Devil Really Exist? To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, uh, Jonathan, it's the devil does exist. Uh, we believe that wholeheartedly, and we believe it's something to be aware of to have great respect for. We should fear the way he works, but we should have great confidence as, as, as in, in our lives being hid with Christ as long as they stay hid with Christ. As long as we stay covered with the armor, we have nothing to fear. See, that's the thing. If we stay in the right place, even the greatest onslaught of spiritual wickedness in high places will not turn us as long as we stay in the right place. Standing on our own, we would be washed away in the flood. Exactly. So that's really where we need to, to look at this whole thing. Uh, let's go back for one last time to the uh, soundbite from uh, SBS TV Australia, The Devil Does He Really Exist? And again, Jonathan, it, just an, another look at the dark ages and the dark time, the darkest time in the history of Christianity where good was, was, was being posed Uh, But it was really evil in the name of Christ. Catholic theologians would have said that because heretics didn't believe the correct Catholic faith, they must be worshipping the evil one instead, God's enemy. The logic is relentless. It's us and them. If you're not with the church and the empire, you're with Satan. It's a short step for the church to demand that heretics be put to death. The first executions come 450 years after Christ. Over the following centuries, the numbers of people killed for supposedly working for Satan grows to many tens, possibly hundreds of thousands. So again, why are we spending time on that period of time? Because it's important to understand the history of Christianity and to look at it and say, look, this is the history. It's not good. 
it's not pretty, it's not proper, it's not Christian, it's not godly, it's none of the above. It's satanic. Yes. And we want to call it for what it is. That's the history that we have to look at and say, never again should we allow the name of Christ to go that direction. Now, could it go that direction again? It certainly could. Absolutely. But what are you as an individual doing? How are you as an individual standing? Are you standing for the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9, and that means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Rick, I wanted to go to that scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Verses 1 through 3. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods. Uh, and we've seen, seen this happen. Yes, yeah. And, and we, again, we have to be careful to make sure that we go and find in Scripture the true doctrine of Christ. And, and, and avoid everything else. And even the scribes and Pharisees came up with their own rules and regulations yeah. and the law. And so you can see, even in Christianity, others have tried to do the same. Yeah, history does, does tend to repeat itself. Um, Revelation 20, verse 4. Uh, Revelation 20, yeah, verse 4. Got first, it. Yeah. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and have not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Those beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus Christ. They stood firm on their faith, Rick. Is that going to be me? Is that going to be you? Are we going to stand firm in our faith because Satan is lurking waiting to take us out of that firmness. Satan fights harder because the Redeemer of the world has arrived and challenged his authority. That's why he went after Jesus right at the very beginning of his ministry. Yes, it is. Before Jesus could get all strengthened up and have experience, he went after him. Satan, the ruler of this world, has a destiny. John 12, 31 and 32. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So, Jesus is saying prophetically, the judgment of this world now, uh, he, the ruler is going to be driven out. He is going to be uh, taken down, put aside. But, you know, and he says, now is he driven out. Now, he hadn't been driven out at that moment in time. No. But the fact that Jesus was here was the driving force that would drive him out. It was Jesus' faithfulness that was the wedge that would drive Satan out permanently. And Jesus could say in faith, yes, he is driven out. Why? Because I'm here. That is powerful. Well, Rick, let's go to the phones. We have Randall from Connecticut. Good morning, Randall, and welcome to Christian Questions. Randall, are you there? Good morning. Happy Sunday, guys. To you, too. And we have Romans 7.22. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. The Christian is strong when he is weak in Christ. When the Christian is focused on God and on being in love, he is safe. Romans 7.23 But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Satan is a real being of hurtful intelligence who whispers to, to, whispers to us, you can do this yourself. You don't need God. But the Christian does not listen to this. 
or his own noisy mind, but leans into Christ. James 4.8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Randall, thanks so much. We appreciate it. God bless you guys. Take care. You know, it's interesting because Randall bring, brings up that idea about that, that, that personal um, decision to stand with God and against Satan. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, in Romans 12, 10, and 11, I'm just going to read, read one, one section of the verse. It says, For the, of, uh, the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Okay, that's Romans 12, uh, verse 10, the latter part of verse 10. What that's saying, Jonathan, is Satan was basically putting out there all of the faults of those who are dedicated to Christ before God. He's the accuser of our brethren and he's going to be put down but he's saying he's saying he's saying he's saying you know in in some kind of heavenly way. Now I don't know how this works. I don't know how this happens, but he's saying God, look at that feeble servant of yours Rick. He calls himself a Christian. Do you see what he does? Do you see what he thinks? Do you see how he acts? I mean, look at this. He's, he can't be one of yours. Look at Jonathan. He's almost as bad. <laughs> Much worse. <laughs> you know, the the point is that he is active in trying to undermine the faithfulness of true Christianity. You're right. That's what he wants to do. But his destiny will be that he will be cast down. So Satan the accuser is going to be cast down. Satan the devil. Okay, again, same Satan, different aspects of his character. He also is shown to have a destiny. Hebrews 2, verses 9 to 14. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through suffering. So you have this description of Jesus, who came as a, as a human, he suffered, he died, He's crowned with honor and glory, and he is the, 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 the pivot point of all of the plan of God. Everything now fits into a godly perspective. And because of that, what happens a little bit later in the verse, verse 14? Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So he will render the devil powerless. So you, you imagine a big, great, big, massive, intelligent, powerful supercomputer that's churning out all this stuff. And what it basically is saying is Jesus comes along and he's going to just pull the plug. And the computer is going to go... Powerless. Powerless. He renders him powerless. So when, when we talk about having a, a healthy respect and a fear of Satan because of what he does and what his motivation is, we also know that the scriptures tell us unequivocally that Jesus is the answer to all of the satanic influence and, and devilry that he brings to our world. He is the answer, and he will render him absolutely Powerless. I love that scripture because it's such a great picture. When something, you get in your car on a cold morning and you go to turn the key and what happens? <laughs> and you got nothing. It's powerless. And in, in a powerless car, you can't get warm. You can't get to your destination. Nothing's good. When you render Satan powerless, his reign comes to an end. Hallelujah for that. Yes. 
So how does that all work out? How does that unfold? Well, Satan's to be bound during the thousand-year reign of Christ. That's what it says in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 3. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon it that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. So it's interesting because you see this binding of Satan and, and then, you know, we understand the great day of judgment is a day of reconciliation, actually. Yes. And, and it brings the nations back to God through Christ. And now you have to see if they are genuine, if they're legitimately focused on God and, and, and following the will of God through Christ. So you have to, it says he will be released again for a little season. Why? To see how genuine, just like with Job. Mm-hmm. Same picture. Okay, I'm sure. God says to Satan, I'm sure that Job is genuine. You can test him. That's exactly what this is. It's that giving of a test so true faithfulness can be revealed. So once that test is in place, what happens? Then Satan is absolutely, completely destroyed. Revelation 20.10 And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where are also the beast and the false prophet, and they shall put to the test day and night forever and ever. And so, you know, it, it cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. We believe that to be a picture of destruction. That's right. Okay? And again, that's, that's another subject. Uh, there's a lot of interpretations there. But because of the way Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom, was used in the, in the New Testament, we believe this to be an absolute picture of that. Nothing alive was ever thrown in there. Right. And the, 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 the smoke of the, the testimony of what had happened would rise up. Will always be remembered. Right. Never forgotten. So we have the destruction of Satan. And where do we find our sure footing in this battle against evil? Jonathan, this is our final scripture as we deal with this. And again, this is the practical application for standing firm against the being who is real and active and wants you to fall. Romans uh, 8, 35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake... We are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jonathan, as we look at that scripture, it, it, it lists off several things. Okay, what can separate us from the love of God? Well, first of all, the only thing off that list is ourselves. There you go. But on that list are several references to Satan and satanic influences. He says that uh, angels, Satan was an angel. He was a powerful, powerful messenger of God. Ruler. He's the ruler of the of this earth right now. Nor things present. He is His present rulership corrupts things that look pure uh, no, no, uh, nor things to come nor power okay Satan has great great power at his fingertips and he angles that power to use against those who would follow Christ folks listen the the discussion was meant to be put in place to show us that Satan is alive and well and flourishing in this present world but not for long our job our responsibility is to recognize that have respect for it, godly respect for it, to be hid in Christ, to be hid 
under the armor of God so we can fight a battle that's beyond our ability to fight through Christ and the armor of God. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, Satan does exist. Be aware and be faithful. Think about it. <laughs>